Hello and welcome to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. My name is Ellis Williams. However, wherever you may be listening from, thank you for tuning in. We've got a packed show today. We're recording on a Wednesday from our downtown Cleveland location. As always, I'm joined by fellow beat writers, Dan Lobby and Mary Kay Cabot. My friends, how you two doing? Doing well. A little bit cold. I hear you on that. I hear you on that. <laughs> it was that a little nicer though. in Arizona. Just a little bit of that. <laughs> huh, huh, just a but bit. we'll take it. I hear you. Um, all right, we got a lot to get into today. Um, Pro Bowl players were announced last night. We'll get into that. Uh, today, during Open Locker Room, Odell Beckham Jr. stated he plans on being in Cleveland next year. So lots to unpack there. And then Mary Kay, as you alluded to, there was also a football game played on Sunday, a disastrous one for the Browns. But nonetheless, we need to get into that too and everything that transpired on the field, um, You know what that may mean for Coach Freddie Kitchens and his job going forward and whatnot. Uh, but first, let's talk about Odell Beckham. As I said at the podium, he talked at length about wanting to be in Cleveland next year, uh, kept referring to the house that he bought and how he's putting in new walls and a doghouse and all these things that sound real nice. Um, so, Mary Kay, let's start with you. When you first heard Odell say those things, what were your initial thoughts? Well, my initial thoughts were that he and Jarvis must have some reassurance that there are going to, going to be some kind of changes. Now, I doubt that they would, you know, walk up to those guys and right. say, hey, by the way, here's what our plans are. But somehow, some way, uh, those guys flipped the script today and they seemed like, you know, hopeful and optimistic. And I don't know if I 100% believe the whole thing, uh, but I think it was good for them to kind of settle things down to get through the rest of the season. They needed to put an end to the madness, to stop the insanity, uh, and to, to kind of curtail some of these reports that are coming out. So I think it was good. I mean, it was probably an or it might have been an organizational decision to kind of do a little bit of damage sure. control here and sort of just quiet everything down and uh, and get through you know, this is going to be a very tough game against the Baltimore Ravens. This is a different team than they faced the first time around. And they're they're in their season home finale. They don't want to be embarrassed in front of the home crowd. Uh, so I think it was good to come out and do this uh, sort of spin. And I, I think, you know, this was a, a little earlier for these two to talk during the week. Uh, you know, obviously Jarvis was named a pro bowler. So that was part of why he talked. Uh, Odell was a pro bowl alternate. So maybe that, that sort of drove the, gave them a reason to put him up there too. But it, it does feel like these two are kind of hand in hand right now and the messages they want to get out. And you, you just got to get through these two weeks, no matter what happens after, whether your head coach is back or he's gone or there's big staff changes, whatever. You just got to get through these two weeks in one piece and, and get ready to go play Baltimore. And that's sort of what this does. It takes the attention off of just this ugly stuff about maybe not wanting to be here, or the, the come get me stuff. It just finally kind of takes the attention off of that. You're not going to get asked about that after games now. Uh, if, if the Browns win on Sunday somehow, it's not going to be like another ugly losing locker room like we've seen after some wins lately. Uh, so, so it just puts everything to bed, at least for now, and, and lets you focus on just getting through these last two weeks of the season and, and seeing where you end up. Yeah, and I do think that it was probably, there was a, probably a little bit of intervention on the part of the public relations staff or, or Freddie or John Dorsey or someone to say, you know, let's, let's calm this all down. Let's, let's stick together. You know, that's been Freddie's message all season, that we are sticking together. Mm -hmm. And so I think if those guys are going to establish themselves as leaders uh, going forward, they're going to have to be at the forefront of 
holding this team together. I mean, there right. are not a lot of, of leaders on this football team. And if those guys are going to be that, then they have to send a message of we are one, at least for the rest of the season. Yeah, I, I agree with that. So I'm curious. I want to ask you, when Odell made those statements about being unsure about the future, uh, we saw what that did to the national headlines and it kind of put everything in a, in a tailspin. After hearing this today, do Browns fans have more reason to be optimistic or do you, are they just words and there may not be much change to it? Like what, what should fans hold on to from hearing this? Well, I think there's going to have to be some kind of change. I don't know what the change is going to be yet, but I've been saying this for a long time. We've been talking about this for a long time. The offensive process has been flawed all season long. It cannot continue on like this, even though you have Kareem Hunt and you have Nick Chubb and now you have something to hang your hat on there and you can sort of build your identity off of those guys. They still have sort of a messed up passing game. It's messed up. Dan, you crunched numbers on that. You've been crunching some numbers on that today. <laughs> you know, they're not scoring points. And I said this today in our uh, video that will be on our insider uh, content tomorrow morning, or that would be um, Thursday morning. The fact that you have to throw touchdown passes. You have to score the football. You win games, obviously, by scoring points. And they're down in the bottom of the barrel in touchdown passes and in points scored this season, also red zone, third down conversions. Really important categories, but the most important of all is points scored and touchdowns. And when I look at, uh, when I look at Odell Beckham Jr., for him to have two touchdown catches, that has really hurt this whole entire season. He, you brought him in to help you get over that hump and get into the playoffs. Two touchdown catches – that's not going to cut it. The year that the Browns went 10-6 and six with Derek Anderson and Braylon Edwards, they connected, Derek Anderson and Braylon Edwards connected, connected for 16 touchdowns, okay? Yep. That's a major reason why they won football games. Right. You have to, as they say, score the football. And they didn't do it. I mean, if you had gotten nine touchdown catches or 10 out of Odell Beckham Jr., which you should get, in a season where he's playing every snap, you should have 10 touchdowns out of him, okay? Yep. You yep. should have double-digit touchdowns. That would have been good for two or three more victories. And two or three more victories has you still in the playoff hunt right now or in the playoffs by now. Right. Probably in the playoff hunt because of what the Ravens are doing. Uh, but if, if those two had connected the way they should have, or if they had been able to get him the ball in the red zone, whatever. Uh, and, and also, look at Jarvis Landry. Those two guys combined for seven touchdown catches this season. Seven, okay? Yep. They should each have a minimum of seven right now. A minimum. Yep. So there's, there's eight, nine touchdowns that didn't happen. Uh, and that's a couple of victories. And things have to change, okay? Right. The offensive process, it's, it's not going to be next year what it is right now. It's not going to be Freddie calling the plays, Todd Munkin sitting up in a booth somewhere not calling the plays, Ryan Lindley in Freddie's headset, and Drew Stanton in Freddie's headset giving input. That's not going to be how the process goes next year. Yeah. I don't know what it's going to be. I don't know if they're going to fire Freddie. I don't know if they're going to try to keep Freddie and turn play calling over to Todd Munkin. I don't know if they're going to 
fire Todd Munkin and try to keep Freddie and bring in a different offensive coordinator because those two guys have philosophies that are so vastly different Sure. that when we asked Freddie about the air raid, raid when he was hiring Todd Munkin, he didn't even know what it was. No, he really didn't even know what it was. So those guys just come from two different philosophies, two different football families. So if they're going to try to hang on to Freddie, you know, I would imagine that that somebody else will be calling them. I, you know, I don't know what they're yeah, going to do. Yeah, no, I get it. Changes need to be made. Yep, you make a lot of good points there, Mary Kay. I mean, uh, you refer to the Braylon Edwards year. I think I was in middle school for that, had Braylon Edwards on one of my fancy teams. It, you loved it. And Cleveland has had big-name receivers make plenty of plays, whether it's Edwards or a guy like Josh Gordon. So the fan base here is used to seeing a, a player, an athlete like that on the perimeter, uh, pop like that. And, again, we keep saying it, Odell Beckham Jr. hasn't. Uh, but it sounds like relative, whatever it means, you took a, a positive turn from Odell's comments today, uh, just meaning that whether the changes are going to be made by hearing that Odell is likely going to be back because he's not going to sign up for something if it's just a, a restart of this exact incarnation. So, Dan, I'll ask you the same thing. You hear the, those questions today and his response to them. Do fans have a reason to be optimistic now that Odell's sounds like it signed up for 2020. I mean, more optimistic than a couple weeks ago when he wasn't very committed to 2020. It, you know, the reality in pro sports, though, and anybody who follows the NBA knows this, you're there until you're not. Sure. So, you know, Odell could change his mind in the spring. Odell could, you know, what will happen here is if somebody happens to bring up, well, what if the Browns trade him? You know, somebody on Twitter will say, well, he said this back in December, and then, you know, maybe ends up getting traded or yeah. something like that. So... You know, certainly fans should feel good about what he said. He certainly sounded like he was all in. He's building a doghouse, uh, which, which is a good thing uh, for him and his dog as, uh, <laughs> as winter time approaches. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, it, when he says that, it at least indicates that he probably wants to be here, that he, he wants to be a part of this moving forward, and that maybe he is expecting some changes to come his way. And honestly, maybe this gives him a little leverage now. He can kind of say... Yeah, I'm back for 2020, but you guys got to make some changes. You guys got to do things differently. I'm committed, so now you got to do some things for me. Right, and also uh, you saw that in his press conference, he tucked in there that little shot at Dave Gettleman, right, <laughs> where he said, oh, yeah. uh, you know, where he's saying, I didn't buy a house to sell it, and Dave Gettleman didn't buy a house to sell it either. He didn't sign Odell Beckham Jr., to trade him, but oh, Odell it, even threw that quote in there. Yep, right. Yep. But you don't trade somebody until you do. You're not going to trade someone until you trade them and you're not going to leave until you're gone. Yep. So uh, again, I think fans can be optimistic, but also realistic. And if things don't change to the liking of certain people, anything can still happen. Ideally, I think Odell would like to be here and win a championship with Jarvis. They are together. If they really want to do this together, the easiest and best way for them to do that would be to do it here because there are not many teams that have the cap space to afford the both of them. Right. Right? And it's even going to be a little bit of a struggle for the Browns to afford the both of them for the long term. But for all intents and purposes, right now they're here together. They're making a lot of money together. And if they want to actually achieve this dream that they have spoken into existence, uh, the, the quickest path to doing that would be in Cleveland. But I do think uh, that they're going to have to 
they're going to have to have some reassurance. And I'm, I'm guessing that they will go mar- marching right into who's, yeah. whoever's office they'll have to go into and say, look, here's how it goes. Here's what we're willing to deal with. And if it's not going to be the way that we want it to be, then we're going to try to get the hell out. And I, I think it's important to note that he did say, we are going to figure this thing out. Right. After he said he was, he was here, I'm not going anywhere, I will be here. The next sentence was, we are going to figure this thing out. Right. And so, it, you know, we have to interpret a little bit and, and right. read between the lines. You wonder if he's saying a little something there, going back to that leverage thing again. Right. You, you just never know. But I would think uh, that those guys will be vocal. I mean, we have seen already that they're very vocal. Mm-hmm. They speak up when they see something that they don't like. And I think that, you know, they will probably voice their concerns after the season. And and there there are going to be some meetings and we'll just have to see where it all leads. Yeah, I'm wondering what does we keep saying Odell's committed to 2020. What does a committed Odell Beckham Jr. look like? Like, are we saying he should be here for the OTAs and he needs to show up healthy to training camp and you know to not make the mistakes of last year? Or is accepting Odell for Odell and what came with it this year still acceptable as long as the on-field product works? Well, first of all. Uh, the things that are going to need to be determined with both of those guys, uh, particularly Odell, is he going to need a surgery? And if he needs a surgery, then he is probably going to be rehabbing a lot on his own and maybe not around for OTAs as much as they might want him to be. But knowing what happened this year, uh, I think that that both Jarvis and Odell uh, will be more committed. If they really, really, truly want to try to win a championship, uh, I would think that uh, now that Odell has uh, has the doghouse and he's got the dog here. It was like an HGTV show. <laughs> I watch a little too much HGTV. So but, you know, now that he has wrapped his brain around being here, which much of last season was spent with him grappling with yeah. this trade emotionally and just trying to wrestle with the fact that he just left New York and landed in another situation that he wasn't entirely certain about. He didn't land in New England like he wanted to. He didn't land in Los Angeles with Sean McVay like he probably would have loved to where he lives in the offseason. He landed in Cleveland, and I've said this before. If you're going to land in Cleveland and you're Odell Beckham Jr., the getting has to be really good. It's got to be good, okay? It's cold here. There's no, you know, it's not New York City. I mean, you're not, you know, you're not at catch on Friday night. Um, You know, the social life isn't phenomenal here. So everything else has to be really good. The football has got to be good, and they're going to make sure that it is. Kenny, so you brought up the spring thing, and there was a uh, an answer that, gave, that Baker Mayfield gave today that I thought I thought was very interesting. He was talking about himself and you know his preparations coming into this year. That that's certainly been a topic, uh, but there were a couple things he said about OTAs that I thought was interesting. Just kind of standing in the back and listening, um, he says. I think I can crank it up a notch within OTAs, and that goes for everyone that's here. And then later in uh, later in his answer, he says, uh, that time is valuable to nail down what we are going to do offensively to where when we come back for training camp, you hit it running. Yes. So I do think, you know, while he was talking about himself, right? I think he's maybe sending a little message there, too, that, hey, we need to get everybody here in the spring. And right. Maybe missing that time in the spring hurt us more than we thought, which... 
again, you kind of like out of your quarterback. You want right. your quarterback yeah. to take ownership of that. And he didn't mention anyone's name. He didn't mention Odell's name. He didn't say it was specifically about anyone. And, and maybe it wasn't. But I do think it's telling that he recognized that and, and pointed it out when he was asked about the, the spring in his offseason. I agree with you on that 100%. Uh, I think there was a little subliminal message there. But I think another thing that he was also trying to say in, in that was, I think he feels that they did not have their offensive mojo down yet. They didn't have their uh, offensive identity formed yet. They were still trying to figure out who they were going to be, mm-hmm. what parts of the playbook they were going to use, what playbook were they using, you know, what were they throwing out, what were they keeping. And I think he's trying to say, like, we need to run the reps in the OTAs that we're going to be uh, playing uh, in the opener. Right. And I, I don't think they were ready yet. I yep. don't think they had uh, – I remember even Ryan Lindley talking about, you know, we want Baker to put his own stamp on this offense. Well, that's a lot to ask from a second-year quarterback. You need to put the offense together and have it all down pat, and then you bring your guys in and you say, here's what we're doing, and now you guys go out and do it, and then put your stamp on it when you're out on the field. Right, right. And I think to that point, too, is now we can use hindsight to, to analyze this, adding Kareem Hunt as much as it boosted the offense also completely changed the offense. Mm-hmm. You know, this, this team does not look the same from week one, two, three, four, so on to when Hunt entered the lineup. So to Baker's point, just having everyone there, and of course Kareem's situation was unique and separate from Odell Beckham's, of course, but this team not having to deal with a, the, the new star receiver coming in and then the new running back coming in and being there for a little bit and then just having to leave at the start of the regular season. Getting rid of those distractions going forward will most certainly help the Browns going into next year. But we still have two games left in this season and a game to talk about that happened on Sunday. Uh, the Arizona loss was unlike much I've seen when it comes to a team uh, needing a win and just falling flat on their face. Uh, the Browns lost 38-24, you know, down 14-0 early. Never really looked like they were there. Um, you guys have covered a lot of NFL football games. <laughs> what did you guys see on Sunday, and what were your thoughts coming out of that one? Well, first of all, I think that uh, the Browns' defense is just basically done. I think that you can almost stick a fork in them right now, and I don't know that they're going to be able to pull themselves together uh, to have a good game against Lamar Jackson, right. Mark Ingram, Mark Andrews. I mean, I don't know that they're going to be able to do it. I think the strain of losing Miles Garrett and then also being without Olivier Vernon, Morgan Burnett, some of these other guys, I, I think it's taken its toll on them. Uh, they were compl- They seemed to be completely caught off guard by the no-huddle offense and by the pace of the Arizona Cardinals. I mean, on that first drive, it was just yeah. they just did whatever they wanted to do. Kyler Murray. Uh, and, you know, I thought, you know, I think Kyler Murray is going to be a really good quarterback, but they had lost six straight games. So other people didn't seem to have be having quite these problems with the Cardinals. Uh, I think the defense, for starters, just wasn't up to the task. And I, I think they're I think they're kind of beat down. I think this defense is just, you know, you mentioned losing miles. They don't have either of their starting ends right now, and I, that kills you against a guy like Kyler. It's certainly going to hurt you against Lamar Jackson in a big way. Uh, you mentioned Morgan Burnett's gone, so now they're starting Sheldrick Redwine. Uh, another guy they lost that we kind of forget about because it was such a crazy incident, but Jermaine Whitehead was a key piece to this yeah. defense. And right. he had two interceptions, not two interceptions, he had an interception against Baltimore. 
and he was a key piece to this defense, and they lost him. Uh, they haven't had Eric Murray, who was their top nickel and, yep. and could also play safety. Uh, so now we've got TJ Carey back out there playing nickel, who is certainly a veteran who's done it before, but that's what you brought in Murray to do. They're just, you know, I don't want to sit here and make excuses because everybody loses players. Right. And everybody deals with injuries and suspensions and things like that. But I, I just think losing those two ends, basically not having your two starting ends to collapse that edge, two elite guys, including one absolute stud in Miles Garrett, it, it changes this defense completely. Well, here, here's another thing to think about with this defense. Uh, even though these guys are professionals and they're going out there to put out the best film that they possibly can, you've got a couple of guys on, on this defense that are pretty sure they're not coming back here. And one of them was benched for the biggest game of the season against the Steelers, and that's Demarius Randall. So even though I'm sure he's going out there and giving his all, there's a difference between giving your all when you feel that you've had the rug pulled out from underneath you and you're pretty sure you're not coming back and giving your all when you're like going to the playoffs. Right. There's two different giving your alls. Yeah. Well, especially when you fall behind by multiple scores and you're just getting destroyed every time Arizona has the football, it just beats you down. You know, just the game in general, though, to, to we've obviously covered a lot of losses over the last few years. But right. To show up to that stadium. And I think everybody sort of had this game circled as a like an alert game. Right. Like, hey, this isn't going to be easy because you're traveling. Arizona's Arizona might be a decent team. It turns out they were a three win team on a six game losing streak to show up and just have Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray run circles around you and just have guys have Joel Batonio of all people saying, mm-hmm. you know, we were flat. We came out flat and you can't do that. And then the next day, Kareem Hunt saying guys weren't giving 110% every play. It's really concerning to see that happen in a, what was essentially a playoff game. And another guy um, on defense, once again, who might not be back next year. And I wrote a story about this over the weekend is Joe Schobert. And again, there's a difference between, Giving, giving your heart and soul to a game and getting ready to go to the playoffs and giving your heart and soul to a game when you're probably not going to be here next year and they haven't even made you an offer. You know, there's just a, you're human. There's a little something extra that you have when the situation is different. And I'm not saying that he didn't leave everything out there. I'm not saying he's one of the guys that Kareem Hunt was talking right. about because I don't think he would ever do that. But there is a different energy. There's a different level that you can get to when you have everything on the line, you know what I mean? Yeah, there's com- just completely right. I mean, there's just a different place that you can go and yep. that you can get yourself to go. And then the other, the other part about it is, uh, I mean, offensively, they, you know, Baker Mayfield just was off. I mean, he's just is off yeah. right now. Yep. He's off. He, his accuracy is not good. Okay. If, for the most part, it's just not, right. I mean, he had 82 yards in the decisive first half of that football game, okay? They padded those stats a lot at the end. They had a 19-play drive in the le- yeah. in the last drive, okay? For like 90 yards, 19 plays. Yeah. So most of, I mean, his, his rating, Baker's rating in the first half was like 58-something, okay? Um, you know, he had he had the pick, and, uh, and that was just bad. I mean, right. that was just a bad throw. Yep. 
And he wasn't making those throws last year. Now, again, I've talked to a number of people, uh, and they tell me that his footwork is just bad this okay. year. And because his footwork is bad, he's sailing his passes. And it's obvious. I mean, those balls are that interception Patrick Peterson got. Um, Odell's open. You know, right. Patrick Peterson, he's a bigger corner. Odell can use his body there probably, but that throw is there. Right. It's going to the right spot uh, just as off as you can be. I mean, throw it into the stands at that point. At least it's not going in the hands of one of the best corners in the league. Right. And then, you know, you do try to get the ball to Odell, and he drops it there at the yeah, 15. That, so those guys are just off. Right. You know, those guys are just off. And, you know, when you hear Odell talk today, the thought that kept crossing my mind was, what is going to make you and Baker look good together? Yeah. Because if you guys can't get it together, if you two can't find your rhythm together, then it's not worth having Odell here. Because if that's what we're going to see week after week after week, and I think some of it is scheme and some of it is coaching. Right. I, I really do believe that. Um, but if, if they can't find a way to fix what is broken in that regard, it's just not worth having a player of that caliber. And I think part of it is, too, that Baker likes precise route running. Uh, he wants someone to be exactly where he wants them to be, when he wants them to be there. And Odell gets open creatively and artistically. And so they have to find a way to work together effectively or once again, try to trade Odell, get a first-round pick for him and more, and move on. Right, right. Um, I'm curious, and for me, it was it was probably the Patrick Peterson interception as, as soon as it sounds. But what I want to ask you is, was there a point or a series or a sequence of events in that game where you guys realized it was over? Like, just like, oh man, they they aren't showing up for this one. I, that was it. Okay, right. It was it was the drop by Odell. Like, the, how do you drop that pass? <laughs> yep. So Baker finally he puts one perfectly on you, and you put it on the ground, and and that has been an issue with Odell this year for. You know, we've talked about his effort being there. We've talked about the the good plays that he has made, but his drops have been an issue this year, and it certainly happened there. And then you turn around and throw a pick. Was it was it the next play or yeah, two plays uh, later? I, I can't. Later. Yeah, whatever it was. Later. Yeah, because yeah. didn't they have the Ratley? Yeah, Ratley had the, there? Yeah, yeah. third and nine. Yeah. Yeah, Blocked it all out already. Yeah. But yeah, I would say <laughs> yeah. that series essentially summed up. It might have summed up the whole season, if yeah. not that game. But you get the drop on a, on a great throw, and then you have the overthrow that ends up with, with Patrick Peterson intercepting it. And you could just tell that this team... There was a moment where they got back into the game a little bit, right. but you also knew by then this defense was not, not going to be there. able to get you off the field. And we've talked a lot about you know the things that Bob Wiley said, the offensive line coach from last year. But and, and I do think that Bob Wiley had some really, really good points in that they had some very, very experienced offensive coaches. That if you're going bad with your footwork, uh, you know, there's a really experienced quarterbacks coach in Ken Zampezi that can get you out of that. Okay. He can coach you out of that. Uh, they had guys that, uh, if your red zone was going bad, they could get you into good, really good red zone plays. Okay. Yep. Because they had done it over and over and over in their careers. Right. Uh, and each guy had a certain area of the specialty, third down, red zone, guys that have done this over and over and over again. And I do think there's something to be said for the fact that they haven't had uh, the kind of coaching that they need uh, to drag Baker Mayfield out of the doldrums to get, you know, to get scoring the football, to get 
scoring in the red zone and all those kinds of things. Yeah, you do wonder how the work's being delegated. You know, that is really one of the best characteristics of any leader. Of course, you need to be a leader of men, but you also have to delegate important tasks like that. And it feels now, and we've had enough body of work to realize that they're the Browns, they don't pay attention to detail. They're not finding the margin margins. And that's the difference in the NFL. And it sounds like last year they, they were delegating that work um, much more efficiently than they are now. Um, so now looking ahead to these final two games, Arizona is what it was. And of course, if that product takes the field against the Ravens, we're looking at another blowout. Going forward, simply, why do these two games matter, and who do you think has the most at stake in these two? Oh, a Baker, I think, has a ton at stake. Okay. It, it would be nice to it would be nice to feel good about Baker coming out of these two games against Baltimore. Pretty good defense. If he could look good against that defense, who has been playing a lot better since the first time these two teams played, and of course they've added Marcus Peters as well. If he can look good against that defense, and then go to Cincinnati and look good against them at least you feel a little better about Baker moving forward and maybe a little better about the relationship with Odell and, and you know, all of that stuff. It, it matters a lot for Freddie. If he has a chance to keep his job, right. it's, it's going to hinge on him, you know, maybe beating the Ravens and, and then doing what he should do in Cincinnati. I think there's a lot of people that it matters for, and you have a couple guys playing for contracts, you know, Joe Schobert. Can he kind of leave with an exclamation point? Can Demarius Randall leave with an exclamation point? I think there's some, I think those are sort of the things you're looking at as as we go through this. Yeah, I think uh, Freddie, they're going to look long and hard at Freddie. And when you've got a guy like Kareem Hunt coming out and saying what he said yesterday, that guys took plays off, uh, guys didn't leave 110% out there, some of that falls on coaching. And Freddie said after the game that he didn't get them ready to play. Now, there are two, that's two games out of the last few where he said, the Browns did not match the intensity of the Steelers in that loss in Pittsburgh. And then you have him saying that he has to do a better job of getting them ready to play, getting them prepared to play on Sunday. And that is very true because those two things that he's talking about, the intensity and getting them prepared to play, that falls on coaching. So he's got to show that he can get these guys running through a wall for him in yeah. these last two games. Instead of us seeing them F-bombing him on the sideline, if that's what it's looked like. I mean, we don't know for sure exactly what was said. Um, but we've seen enough guys sort of having little sideline dust-ups. And some of that is is in the heat of the moment of football. But uh, you have to respect your head coach. I don't think that that is the norm in the NFL to see guys, you know, screaming at their coaches. So Freddie's got to show that he's got a handle on this football team, that these guys are going to run through a wall for him. They have to show that they're ready to play. Now that's going to be hard to do uh, with a defense that is basically decimated against a Ravens offense that is going to come in here with their hair on fire. They have a lot to play for. They have home field advantage and number one seed throughout uh, the AFC on the line here. And that is vitally important. So they have a ton to play for. They also have something to prove. The Browns were the last team Absolutely. to beat them, 40-25. to 25. So they have something to prove there. Uh, but Freddie has to really show that he deserves to keep this job beyond this season. They're going to be watching him. Uh, Jimmy Haslam, you know, walked past me in the corridor outside of the locker room in Arizona, and he looked very angry. Now, 
anybody's going to look angry after that loss. So we'll give him that. But he's not a patient man. Okay, we know that by now. He's not patient. John Dorsey was in the locker room. I felt he was in there. He also had a look of consternation on his face. I thought he was in there trying to get the pulse of the players. Okay. Just like he did. Remember when he first showed up on the doorstep here and he would sit, he would come into the locker room and try to get a feel for what the locker room was, right? Yeah, he, he would like sit in the corner. Right. The, I remember the first game, I think it was Green Bay, the right. game they had the two touchdown lead and lost. It was the 0-16 yeah. year. And he sits in the locker room and doesn't talk to anybody, <laughs> just sat there, yeah. you know, didn't look angry, nothing like, he just, just was watching everyone i think including us right he was just watching sure. everyone to see to get a feel for everything and he did that the rest of the year yes and i i thought i saw that in him after this game where he was in the locker room and i think he was trying to take the pulse of what was going on in there sure. and trying to absorb the vibe a little bit they're watching freddie okay make no mistake about it you don't go six and eight in this season of great expectations without them taking a good long look at Freddie Kitchens. And furthermore, and we've talked about this a lot, you don't go six and eight and have your quarterback at the bottom of the barrel in every statistical category with your offensive coach running the offensive show without taking a look at that process and seeing what's yep. wrong with it and what you can do to fix it. Because if you can contrast this, and I think we're going to get into this in a little bit more in one of our subtext questions, is if you look at what the Ravens did with Lamar Jackson and how everything was geared towards bringing out the best in him. Right. They have to make sure they're doing that with Baker. Yep. Yep. I completely agree about um, Freddie and the contracts people are playing for. Uh, for me, it, it, it's defensive coordinator, Steve Wilkes. That's a good one. You know, he, you know, how quickly life can change in the NFL. You go from a guy who really made a name for himself in Carolina with Ron Rivera, uh, you know, grabbed a head coaching job, which is, you know, the pinnacle of these guys coaching careers. And this is what they work and chase for their whole lives. Uh, that ends after one season. He lands in what felt like a, a great situation in Cleveland, an up-and-coming team with a guy like Miles Garrett, Denzel Ward on the outside, pieces for him to work with. And now we're here, and he just allowed you know 124 yards rushing to Joe Mixon and made the Bengals look like a competent offense. And then Cliff Kingsbury had what people are saying is his best game of the year, calling it and taking advantage of a weaker defense. And now you're looking at the Ravens coming in to Cleveland and potentially destroying you like the, the Ravens have done against the Rams 45-6. You know, the, the right. Baltimore is on a mission to, to tear the league up right now. They're not going to go easy on anyone for, you know, take the home field out of it. Of course, that's the, the main goal, but it's a division game. The yep. last time the Browns and these these two teams played, sure. the Browns win. The last time they lost. Um, so Steve Wilkes really has to fight for his coaching life in these next two games and whether that's in Cleveland or not, but just his resume going forward, you know, how is he going to sell himself in this league into front offices after the, really the year he's had going back to Arizona, you know, his 12 month window there. So look, is it going to be easy getting a team missing this many parts as we've, as we've detailed to play against the best offense in football? No. And do I, and do I not envy Steve Wilkes' position right now? <laughs> not at all. But this is this is going to be a, a real moment for him to try and galvanize a group with then the Ravens and then a rematch with Cincinnati. Well, think about this. Steve Wilkes took, took over a defense that had one of the best defensive players in the NFL in Miles Garrett. Right. Miles Garrett was at least still a candidate for NFL yeah. Defensive Player of the Year when he exited 
this team with six games to go. That is huge on this defense. It has a ripple effect on everybody. If you're not getting that pressure, if, if you're not getting that pressure up front, you're putting a strain on your defensive backs. Yep. So Greedy's not going to look as good. Denzel's not going to look as good. Um, your other defensive linemen are not going to look as good when nobody's drawing that double T. Exactly. Okay? So, I mean, when you look around the league and you think about the Aaron Donalds and the J.J. Watts and the T.J. Watts of the NFL, you know, you think about taking those guys out of that football game and you it's like a crater-sized hole in that defense, <laughs> yeah. right? And the Browns have had that for the last six games of the season. And, you know, they planned for a defense, you know, built around Miles Garrett, okay? And it's been really, really hard on them not to have him coupled with OV, Olivier Vernon. I yeah. mean, he has really not played like the last six games. Yeah, he Since got hurt Denver. in Denver. He played 10 snaps against Pittsburgh. Yeah, right? he played 10 snaps against But That's nothing. Yeah. So both of these guys, your two starting ends, your two starting – I mean, they are paying Olivier Vernon over $15 million this year. Yeah. And he was starting to play pretty well. He It hasn't shown up in the stats, but – you take those two guys off the field, and you know what? They just they haven't had it since yeah. then. Yeah, I mean, I, I can make a case for Steve Wilkes that I can't make for Freddie Kitchens, and it starts with that stuff, right? Okay, interesting. Uh, just because when I look at the offensive side of the ball, I, I can't point to, unless I'm just completely forgetting someone, I can't point to, like, a key injury that has... No. That you, I can't look at it now. I can sit here and say the offensive line stinks. They didn't do a good enough job of building that offensive line. You know, I'll hear that argument. But everybody's been healthy on that side of the ball, and they added Kareem Hunt. On the defensive side, you've got that. Mm -hmm. I think the other thing we're not talking about that I didn't mention before, I mentioned Whitehead and some other things, but let's not forget Christian Kirksey right. got hurt in game two. So now you're throwing a fifth-round pick, Mac mm -hmm. Wilson, in there. And Mac right. Wilson, I really like him. He's athletic. He's from Alabama. Right. But there's a reason he was a fifth-round pick. And he's got progressively better, I think, right. as the season's gone along. But you're still relying on a guy who's probably not completely ready to be your second linebacker next to Joe Schobert, whereas Kirksey was having the best game in years when, when he got hurt. And right. he was he's a very reliable guy. He's a captain on this team. Uh, and again, the, he was dealing with the injuries in the secondary. You know, he didn't have Ward and Williams for a while. I, I think Steve Wilkes certainly is going to get a very hard evaluation at the end of this year because the numbers have not been great and these last few games have been rough. But I think there are more, and I hate to use this word, but I'm going to use it, there are more excuses for Steve Wilkes than there are on the other side of the ball. Yeah, and building on that, uh, look, like you said, the stats aren't going to be great, but if you go back and look at some of these Browns games and remember the earlier ones, Wilkes' defense was a unit keeping the Browns yeah. in these games. I think uh, the, the Seattle game, you know, you know, Russell Wilson ended up getting away a few times, but this Browns offense would make mistake after mistake. And there's nothing like sending a defense out there after a three and out or a four play drive that ends in a turnover and ask them to do it all over again and save your butt and hold this team to a field goal. And they did that several times earlier in the season. You know, of course, with Miles Garrett on the field, um, you know, it's a, what have you done for me lately league? So that might get lost in the shuffle, but this defense was the highlight of the season outside of Nick Chubb in that first half. Well, think about this too. They lost Denzel Ward and Greedy Williams to four games each. So for four games, they were without 
their two starting cornerbacks. They get their two starting cornerbacks back, and they lose their two starting defensive ends. <laughs> remarkable. So they have not had a full complement of defense really at all this season, okay? Yeah. That is a tremendous strain on a defense. When we look back to that game against the Brown, the Browns versus the Ravens, I mean, you look at that game, they did not have Brandon Williams, their best defensive tackle. They did not have Jimmy Smith. And that's a, it's a different defense just without those guys. And then they added Marcus Peters. Right. So now, all of a sudden, they are a formidable defense. Exactly. Well, can you think about this right now? If the Browns had... And you, thanks for remembering Christian Kirksey because I almost forgot about him. I mean, if they <laughs> it's had been a long it's season, it's been a long time. I mean, if if they had Miles Olivier, if they had Morgan Burnett, because Morgan was playing well. Yeah. If they had Christian Kirksey, uh, and if they had all these guys together healthy, and even Jermaine Whitehead, who was actually, I mean, he he had his ups and downs, but he made some plays. I mean, if you put that all together. It's a completely different defense. Right, right. And Dan mentioned Eric Murray, too, a guy who's yes. reliable to slide in there. And he's a good run fit type of guy. He's right. smart and knows where he's supposed to be. So, yeah, to Wilkes' defense, there's just been so many missing parts. And Mary Kay, I love your point about that because these defenses are built either, all right, we're going to stack our back end and right. you, you'll have time to throw, but our guys are better in the secondary. Or we're going to stack the front and come after you and you're not going to have time to throw and just when you get one back, you lose the other. Right. It's, it's, it's fascinating. I mean, they tried to build it, build both. Right. Yeah, they, they built did. a really good secondary, and they built a really good defensive front. Yep. And, and they just haven't had it intact all year. Yeah, it's fascinating. Um, before we take our break, uh, we started with some some good news with the Odell Beckham comments saying that he's for now here for 2020. Um, let's end with some good news. The Pro Bowl announcements came out yesterday. Uh, Nick Chubb. And his breakout season leads that with a starting spot along with Jarvis Landry. Um, alternates include Joel Batonio, Joe Schobert, Denzel Ward, and Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, so just quickly, what stood out from that list? Of course, Nick Chubb feels like um, not just the, the feel-good story of this team, but really something the Cleveland fans can be proud of and put a stake in. I mean, his, the season he's had in, is remarkable. So when you, when you guys saw the list, uh, what stood out to you? I, I just, I mean, the validation for Nick Chubb is, right. is the really, the really big one to see him get that reward. And, and obviously he's leading the, the league in rushing. So it's, it's not a shock that it happened, but uh, just, just that validation. I think for Jarvis too. Uh, I, I think last year people were a little surprised he got to the Pro Bowl. I, I don't know why. I, I think he deserved it, but I think this has been one of his best seasons. He's averaging more yards per catch. I think it's it's one of the highest totals in his career. It's certainly higher than last year. He's over a thousand yards already. He's been your best receiver to, to this point. So I, th- I think just seeing those guys get their recognition, I think Joel Batonio probably deserves to get there. Uh, something other than an alternate. I, I asked him today about his line mate, JC Treader. I'd like to see JC get a little recognition as a Pro Bowler as well. Those those guys, you know, as messy as the O line has been, those guys have been as solid as it as it comes in the middle. Uh, but you know, no, no big surprises. Right. So, you know, just, just kind of happy to see Nick Chubb get that recognition. Yeah. One of the things that stood out to me, do you remember back when I asked John Harbaugh at the NFL owners meetings in March, uh, about Odell Beckham being added to the Cleveland Browns roster. And he said, the Browns have the most talent in the, in the AFC North. And here are the Ravens with 12 yeah. pro bowlers and the Browns only had two. So I think that's, that's disappointing. That's right. very disappointing. Now, part of it is Miles is not in there. He would have been a pro bowler, okay? So there's that. And uh, I, I think Joe Schobert, 
could have made a case. I think he made a case. He's, he's got four interceptions yeah. to go with all the tackles and everything. Uh, I do think Joel, but you're, I mean, when you're, when you have six victories, you're, you're not going to get there. And a lot of their games on national television, they just didn't play well at all. I mean, they laid right. eggs on their nationally televised games. So it's going to be hard for those guys like Joel with no statistics uh, to get there in a season like that. But good for Nick Chubb. He absolutely deserves it. I mean, today he was his usual humble self. You know, he, he's just really everything that you would want in a football player, in a, in a teammate. Good for the Browns. Great pick for them. But I think two pro bowlers on this football team is a disappointment. Uh, one thing I'll add, of course, Baker Mayfield was not going to make a Pro Bowl. But what I find interesting about this list is you see his running back, his receiver, and then an alternate, his other receiver, all get postseason recognition. And Baker Mayfield's the guy that runs this offense. And I know this is the NFL and this is a Pro Bowl, and maybe that's been diminished as the years have gone by. But these guys look at this stuff, and when you're you got your running back and two of your top receivers getting recognition and you're the guy running the whole thing. Uh, I see that as a look, Baker Mayfield's the type of guy who's going to have a, a flame lit under him regardless after this type of season, or at least you'd hope going forward. But when you see that and you know, you're the guy that stirs the drink and you had the season you had, I think that's really going to light Baker Mayfield up this off season because it, it's just, it's clear that the pieces are there. You've, you see it on Sundays and then you're rewarded for it nationally so really, it's this offense has to come down to Baker Mayfield. You know, even off the offensive line getting recognition. So when you're the guy on the outside looking in, I think that's gonna it's gonna say a lot about what the offseason Baker Mayfield well, is about and, to have. And these are your Pro Bowl quarterbacks in the AFC: Lamar Jackson, year two; uh, Patrick Mahomes, year three; and Deshaun Watson, year four. Yeah. So th- those are three of the young quarterbacks, and you would have liked to have seen Baker Mayfield rise to that level this year where you mentioned him with Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson uh, among that, that group of quarterbacks that are the future of the NFL. And unfortunately where it felt like we were going to be doing that after year one, we can't do that after year two. What do Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson all have in common? (laughs) I think I know where you're going with this. What do you got? The Browns did not draft them. <laughs> Systems that support them. The Browns, well, that too. But the Browns, <laughs> the Browns passed on all three of those guys. Dang, so as dang. we move forward over the next five, six, seven, eight years, right. uh, those are going to be things to watch. Baker Mayfield is going to have to rise up uh, to the level that these guys are playing at. I mean, he's now faced with having to be better than Lamar Jackson over the next decade. And the Browns have to find a way uh, to get Baker Mayfield better than Lamar Jackson, or the question will be raised early and often, did they take the wrong quarterback? It's already on people's minds. How could it not be, right? We're in Cleveland. (laughs) And, I mean, they're not the only ones that passed on Lamar Jackson, but uh, the, the the question remains, you know, did they... Did they make a mistake or do they have a guy that can keep pace with Lamar Jackson and they just have to do more to support him? Yeah, I, think, I do think it is important to point out that the Ravens also passed on Lamar Jackson and they took a tight end at, what was it, 26 or something. Yeah. And yeah. today John Harbaugh was asked about it and he said, well, you know, we were playing the draft value game and we can get him here instead of here. And 
if you believe in a quarterback, you take him. You don't play the draft value game. So right. I, I think that's important to point out. But they also get credit for having the guts uh, to take him and then build their entire roster around him. Yes, and they've done a really, really amazing, tremendous job with that. And the Browns need to take a look at that and follow suit. Yep, and we're going to up close and personal look at Lamar Jackson on Sunday and going against that Steve Wilkes defense. Uh, there's a lot to be worried about. Um, all right, listeners, we're going to take a quick break here. When we come back, we'll have football football insider questions for you, so don't go anywhere. Hello, and welcome back to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. My name is Ellis Williams, joined as always by beat writers Dan Lobby and Mary Kay Cabot. Before we get to your football insider questions, here is Dan Lobby to tell you about how you can get signed up. <laughs> I'm changing it up here. So you go to cleveland.com slash browns, right? And there's a banner at the top of that page and you click it and you sign up. And here's the thing. How many weeks are left in the season? Two, right? Ding, two. ding, ding. You get a two-week free trial to this thing. So why not go and sign up and see if you like it over the last two weeks? Check it out. Do the trial. Decide if you like it. We'll do a little pregame chat on uh, on Sunday. I, I did it last Sunday against Arizona. It was it was kind of fun. So you know, text. Well, you'll be able to text in questions, and I'll answer them from the press box for about a half hour or so. Uh, so listen, it's you get texts from us. All three of us are on it. Scott Patsko as well. You get a newsletter every day with some exclusive content we don't have any place else. And like I said, you get this free trial. There's two weeks left in the season. Give it a shot. See what you think. Woohoo! Do it. Let's do it. it we got great like, stuff for you guys. Sounds like perfect timing. You know, from Cleveland.com, early Christmas gift, two-week free trial. Yeah, there you go. Takes you right to the end of the season. After that, three ninety-nine a month. Simple as that. All right, let's jump into these questions. Our first one from Area Code 561. Hi, MK. You stated that in light of John Harbaugh's comments about Lamar Jackson, you don't think the Browns did enough to help Mayfield flourish this season. It w- in what matter would you... Ugh, let me start that over. In what manner could they have done more, in your opinion? You mean from a mental prep, playbook, offensive line? Just curious, because it sounds like you're saying Mayfield's issues with the season may be coaching-related. Yes, I definitely think that uh, some of his issues were were coaching-related. And we touched on this a little bit earlier, that I think when they got to OTAs, they did not have their act together yet. They They had not crystallized what their offensive identity was going to be. They were still taking too much input from all the different coaches and trying to pull it together. And then I'm not entirely certain that they played to Baker Mayfield's strengths the whole entire season or that they called plays that were well-suited to him. Uh, I I just don't think they had their act together enough throughout the entire season. And I think they waited too long to try to get it together. You know, when they brought in Todd Munkin, you know, he was an, he's got an air raid background, and Baker Mayfield is an air raid quarterback, but I just didn't see enough influence from, from Todd Munkin in that way. Uh, I, I just don't think that they did everything that the Ravens did to support Lamar Jackson. I don't think they made Baker look good this year. I think, too, maybe they sold themselves a little too much on this air raid thing because we have evidence last year this, that Baker Mayfield, and it goes into this year now, too, Baker Mayfield is better when you have bigger personnel on the field, when you have two tight ends, when you have, you know, obviously now that you have Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, you can mess around with that and make it two running backs. And and they run a lot of three wide receiver sets. And it's, it's just not working. They aren't building this thing around what Baker Mayfield's strengths are. I mean, right now, as it stands, you've got two 
would we say top five running backs in the NFL? At, very, at the worst, you have two top 10 running backs yeah. in the NFL. And you're not really causing a lot of matchup problems with that. I don't feel like there's been a lot of growth with how the Browns are using those two guys. So I, I just feel like they haven't built this around what we saw Baker Mayfield being strong in last year. And I've talked about the pace too, right. you know, go faster, get in some no huddle Let Baker Mayfield. He's smart enough to go up to the line and see things and make reads and, and get into different plays. There was a run play on Sunday that, that broke big and it was Baker Mayfield. You could see him get into that play at the line of scrimmage and Nick Chubb had a big run. I, th- I think it was Nick Chubb. It could have been Hunt. I don't know. But it was just a big run play. And it stood out to me that Baker got into that. And, I, you know, I just feel like, like you said, it's a little more extreme with Lamar Jackson, obviously, because he's a different quarterback. It's a little more extreme with Josh Allen because he's a different type of quarterback. They're both athletic quarterbacks that can run a lot. But you can build around Baker Mayfield, and the Browns just haven't done that. They haven't put an offense around him that plays to his strengths. Right, and I think that... Uh, when all is said and done in the final analysis, if you have chosen Baker Mayfield to be your franchise quarterback and take you to the promised land, uh, that in a battle between uh, your coach and your number one overall pick quarterback, Baker's going to win that. He's going to win that battle. And if it comes down to trying to make Baker look good and they need to figure out a way to do that, uh, I think they're going to take a long look at Freddie and this offensive staff. Yeah, and that makes perfect sense because what this is now becoming is a, a marriage between Freddie Kitchens and Todd Munkin that really was never going to work. If right. you look at what Baltimore did, you have, first of all, John Harbaugh, who's established, respected Super Bowl winner. But then you also have Greg Roman, who is has a track record with running quarterbacks. What he did in San Francisco with Colin Kaepernick, and then to a lesser degree, a bit in Buffalo with Tyrod Taylor. It was a guy who knew how to get the best out of Lamar Jackson and they fully supported it. And then meanwhile, in Cleveland, you have two guys where you weren't sure if it was going to work. And really what we're seeing is they must've just hoped for the best. And mm-hmm. now we're sitting in this situation. And then there's examples of this across the league. Like if you don't want right. to use the extreme Lamar example, there are you know, Jimmy Garoppolo. Look what San Francisco built around him. They went with this run heavy attack. They have an elite level tight end and, and they, sort of minimized him early and now they've let him open up a little bit later. Uh, You know, Alex Smith in Kansas city, not the perfect quarterback. Eventually they replaced him, but they built an offense that suited him and allowed him to be successful and get them to the playoffs over and over and over again. So even if Baker Mayfield, and we don't know what he's going to be ultimately, even if he's not an elite top five quarterback, which you'd hope he would become if he's a number one overall pick. But if there is a lower ceiling than we think you can still build around the talent level that he has. I think he's still a really talented quarterback with a ton of upside. Absolutely. Um, but I think that uh, I think that his some of what he did last year was overestimated yeah. in terms of his ability to throw from within the pocket and things like that. Uh, and I think that they were lulled into a false sense of security by those five victories in the last eight games. Sure. And I think that they felt like he was able – to take on more than he should have this year, that they wanted him to put more of a stamp on the offense than he should have this year. I just think that they should have identified here's exactly what he can do best and then tailor everything to that. And I think there was just too much left to chance, and I think he suffered for it. Yeah, you know, life can hit you fast. You know, you come off that end-of-the-year run that he had, as you just alluded to. You break the rookie touchdown record. Now you've got the endorsements and the commercials mm-hmm. and the, the offseason of Baker Mayfield plugging Odell Beckham Jr. And 
look, they're professionals, but you see why they started to, to feel themselves, if you will. You mm-hmm. get told you're great for that long, right? And you have proof, which now looks like window dressing, but the proof was in how he ended the season. So it wasn't like he hadn't done anything. He, he I mean, that rookie record, it is impressive for what it is, right? But it doesn't merit the type of no success that was dawned on him in just you know such a small sample size right absolutely they they felt that he had arrived exactly everyone felt like he had arrived (laughs) freddie had arrived baker had arrived and now they were just going to roll in and take this team to the promised land and then the icing on the cake was going to be odell beckham jr and it just all fell flat if if you were taking over this team offensively, let's say the Browns came to you and said, you're the new offensive coordinator. Who are you building this offense around? I'm curious what your answer would be, because my answer would be, I'm going to build it. I'm going to start with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, and then I'm going to work from there. And that doesn't mean I'm going to run the ball 40 times a game or 50 times a game and be San Francisco or whatever, but I'm going to start by Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, and then we're going to work everything else off of those two guys, whether it's in the passing game, the running game. I, I think that's one thing that maybe the Browns have discovered this year, that those are two guys that cause a ton of problems. Kareem Hunt's a restricted free agent. He's probably going to stick around. Of course, Nick Chubb is going to be around. You know, So whoever takes over this team, or if Freddie remains, you're going to be able to start with those two guys and maybe build out. And maybe having a little bit of stability in that will, will help wh- whoever's calling the plays. And think about this, Dan. And Ellis, you've got what you're talking about right now. Kareem Hunt, Nick Chubb, your offensive coordinator who's drawing it up during the week, he didn't give two craps about the running game. Fair. (laughs) Yeah, they are. I I actually pulled it up because I was curious. Even though Nick Chubb is leading the league in carries, I believe he's still leading the league in carries, the Browns are 15th in rushing attempts. Interesting. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, in, in... Tampa Bay. In Tampa, you didn't know who any of them were because they, they weren't performing. They didn't get the ball. Right. <laughs> they matter. led the league in pass. So you've there's just like disconnect yeah. upon disconnect going right. on here. Right. It just it's not making sense. Yeah. No, I agree with that. And I think going forward, look, the best coaches identify what their players do well and bolster that. They lean on it. What I've seen from Baker Mayfield this year is he can identify where the one-on-one matchup is which is usually the number three wide receiver on this team, which has been a rotating door, or it's the tight end. Now, should every team be built with two top receivers, then a good tight end and a great number three receiver and the NFL leading rusher and Kareem Hunt, of course, in a perfect world. But let's look at the St. Louis Rams before, sorry, the Los Angeles Rams (laughs) before this season. You have, when you have three receivers, Robert Woods, Cooper Cup, and Brandon Cooks, you can't, double them all and there's been plenty of moments especially in key moments this year when they just take Odell away and they take Jarvis away Mm -hmm. and then Baker Mayfield has not much to go to and you're asking guys to make plays who aren't ready to make plays so knowing what Baker Mayfield leans on which is the one-on-one matchup as I said in the tight end that has to be a priority this offseason you in the draft they need to nail or sign someone who can be trusted on big downs like that Damian Ratley catch in Arizona mm-hmm. uh, that was a big third and nine mm-hmm. and it ended in an interception but that's a that's a big catch right and we've seen the tr- the touchdown drops from Demetrius Harris this year mm-hmm. you know he gets his feet in on even one of those three that I'm just thinking of right now right. those those swing games right okay you just got done mentioning how they're just not scoring 
and though Odell's not getting the targets in the red zone, it comes down to where Baker Mayfield likes to throw the ball. So building that roster in those sense, which again comes back to the margins, I think is so incredibly important for Baker Mayfield's growth going forward. And, and as silly as it's as simplistic as it sounds, sometimes you just look at your team and say, if I'm a defensive coordinator, what do I not want to see? Yep, exactly. And going back to the, if I were a defensive coordinator and I saw Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt on the field together, like 50 plays, that would wear me out. Yep. And then you add in Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry, and then maybe Baker Mayfield is more comfortable. Right. You know, now I'm, I'm sweating over there. If I'm a defensive coordinator, I've got to deal with those two guys. We've seen what just having Kareem Hunt go in motion and swing out wide, even if the ball never comes his way, it does to the linebacking core of a yep. defense. Uh, so, I mean, I mean, that's really, there's still so much potential with this offense. And I think that's what, what has been so frustrating. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. And that is, those are the things that they have to really try to get figured out this off season. But, you know, I, I don't know what the solution is. I, I don't know. I don't know right. what they're going to do. I mean, you don't really want to fire your head coach after one season, but if you take away the play calling from him, you know, is he, you know, what what do you have? You, like, what would his value be yeah. after that? Is it, you know, getting guys to play hard for him? Is he the face of the franchise? Is he, you know, it, it's, it's going to be a tough decision. I really think it is. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. But it doesn't change the fact that the pieces are there. But as we keep going back to, from an operations standpoint of this offense, from from week to game plan to even getting the plays in on time on the field, Dan, <laughs> you wrote about pace, you've talked about pace. I didn't. I swear they got the the Browns on Sunday got a they delay had to take game. a delay. They got the delay they game the after delay. the the TV timeout. Yes. Yes. Incredible. They got delay. <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen that before, and I, it's I don't even know how you explain it, but that's really sums up the Browns. Right there offensively. Uh, we'll get to our next question from the 440 asking, instead of talking about firing Freddie Kitchens, what can be done to build long-term stability within the Browns? So, all right, let's just imagine we're taking firing Freddie off the table. Is that, the first of all, is that how this team can start building long-term stability or is that just prolonging your problems? How do you start selling the message across the league that this Cleveland team is a stable organization going forward. Well, I don't, I don't think stability for stability's sake is, is a good argument. Fair. If if you don't believe you have the guy, you can't just run it back. I mean, in reality, the Browns made a mistake when they tried to choose stability after they hired John Dorsey. You know, they, they hired John Dorsey, and then they decided to bring back Hugh Jackson, and it was just this marriage that they forced together, and it didn't work. Right. And eight games into the season, Hugh and Todd Haley were gone. So you can't just keep a guy to say, well, look, we kept the same head coach. There's some stability and, and all of that. You've, you've got to have the right guy in place. And once you get the right guy in place, stability follows. So hopefully you, you know, you'd have John Dorsey here. You'd be able to keep stability in the front office if you decided to move on from Freddie Kitchens. And then hopefully you'd end up hiring the right guy. Well, when they conducted their coaching search, John Dorsey was riding high at that time. Uh, Freddie was successful baker mayfield was successful and they basically put the coaching search in his hands and let him run it uh, but as we believe or have come to find out maybe not everybody in the building was on board with that hire in the beginning and you know i think you know they had to arrive at a consensus they didn't start out in that place therefore i don't know that everybody is as wed to the freddie kitchens hiring 
as as John is. And so these are other things that they're going to have to figure out once the season is over. I mean, if if let's say, you know, we've heard that Paul De Podesta wanted Kevin Stefanski, uh, that's been reported. Uh, if that was true, you know, then maybe there's not 100% support in the building, and therefore uh, making a change might not be as difficult as as it might otherwise be. Yep, and I I agree with that, Dan. Like you said. Just trying to act like you have stability when you don't is yeah. you're just compounding your problem. The names aren't sexy, but you throw out a guy like Mike McCarthy or Ron Rivera, who knows if that's possible, but for lack of a better term, you get an adult in the room <laughs> is what that brings a sense to. You know, Both are respected coaches, longtime head coaches. Um, they're not going to be the flashy Kingsbury or McVeigh hire, but again, their resume speak for themselves. And So maybe that's an option. You, you bring in a guy with a resume like that and it just shields you in a way that hey look there's stability here just by the name recognition in itself maybe that's an option going forward uh, but the finding stability is is key in something that this cleveland organization has been searching for for a very long time we're going to go to our next question from the 571 asking knowing what we know now what are positions of priority for cleveland looking towards the offseason. I've already mentioned tight end and the number three wide receiver. Are there any other positions that stand out to you guys? You know, they got to fix the line. Okay. Uh, that's an obvious one. That's yep. what everybody's going to say. One, one of the tackle positions. Uh, safety is probably going to be something they, they need to, to clean up. I know they've invested high draft picks already in that secondary, but if there's a safety that, that you get, I think I saw a mock draft for what it's worth in December that had the Browns taking a safety. So, so I think those are, are certainly positions where, where you're going to look to address. Did you say receiver? I did not say receiver, no. Well, they might yeah. need a receiver, yep. and yeah. that's obviously going to depend on what happens with Odell going forward. Regardless of what he said today, it still bears watching throughout the offseason because still who knows you know, which way this thing is going to go. So that might be something to look at too. What's funny about the receiver thing is, look, it, it goes to the fact uh, it's like a, a sunken cost where well, the damage is done, but this team had Antonio Callaway and still has Rashard Higgins. Mm-hmm. We're not sure how the Higgins thing is going to end, though you, you probably can guess it. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we know. Fair enough. Unless they hire you know his his college, college coach, coach or something <laughs> right he's gone sure and so it this is uh, they bring in a, a receiver who makes some plays next year all will be forgotten but i do think it's interesting to say the least that you have two young talented receivers this year and they just couldn't make it work for whatever reason but i, I do agree that that number three spot a receiver and i'm glad you mentioned odell just in general you need a, a young receiver here that you can see here for the next four or five mm-hmm. years and really mature and grow into something so all right listeners that's all we got for your questions we as always appreciate you submitting them for football insider getting them here on the podcast always good to discuss those uh we're going to switch gears here to life on the beat our beat writers day in lobby america cabot we're in arizona on sunday of course for the game and mary Kay, it sounds like you had a, a interesting <laughs> situation on the flight which carried into scottsdale some uh some fans I had a few words with you. What was that experience like? <laughs> well, first of all, uh, my whole entire Frontier flight, uh, the direct flight on Friday, I flew out on Friday. Yep. Uh, my husband and my son came with me. They went out to uh, Scottsdale and did some golfing. Uh, but my whole entire flight was completely jam-packed with Browns fans. Incredible. And 
even though it was a 7 a.m. flight, a lot of them were feeling no pain <laughs> by probably 8.30 in the morning. It's the only way to fly, right? Right. The only way to fly. So <laughs> There are no rules in an airport. <laughs> yeah. So I got up to stretch my legs, go back, go to the bathroom, and... I was serenaded by about three rows of Browns fans in the back that started singing. Uh, they knew that I covered the Browns. They knew who I was. They started singing, This Girl's on Fire, and pretty much woke everybody up on the plane. Then they asked if I would take a big group picture with them. Incredible. So somewhere out there on the internet, yep. on Facebook or somewhere, and I'm sure I probably looked really good at 8.30 in the morning too, <laughs> by the way, uh, is a picture of me and about nine of my new friends uh, that I met on the plane on my uh, Frontier flight to Phoenix. So shout out to my my new pals. Uh, they probably don't even remember that this happened, but uh, <laughs> I love it. We need to find this photo. It's it's somewhere. Yeah, it's somewhere, <laughs> and I'm I'm a little worried about it. Um, you know, I you guys know I like to kind of primp a little bit before <laughs> I go on camera. Just I didn't have the prep. chance to do that, <laughs> but um, then in my hotel, um, I came back from dinner one night. And the whole bar was filled <laughs> with Browns fans. Uh, that were there were just tons of Browns fans all over Arizona, and in particular, it seemed Scottsdale. Sure. And so uh, I I hung out and did like an impromptu little Q and A. I actually should have promoted <laughs> subtext Seriously. while I was. Yeah, you guys all sign up you for should have, You should have made them text in their questions. That. Yeah. But just a bunch of really nice guys that I met. At the um, at the bar, and it was funny because my husband uh, was with me, and he came back, and he knows the drill, and he was like, <laughs> sure. "Okay, I'm out." Yeah, yeah. He went up to the room. Smart guy. Yeah, left me down <laughs> uh, in the bar talking to some Browns fans, but you know, I actually don't mind doing that from time to time because you awesome. really find out what these Browns fans want to know, what they think, sure. how they feel, and it's a completely different group uh, than what you see on Twitter. Okay, it's just, good to know. It's just good a to different hear. group. Yeah. And it restores your faith in mankind. Yeah. That there are real human beings out there that are intelligent and have really good Browns questions yeah. and thoughts and opinions. I, I will say this. I did learn on the uh, on the road that um, I, I am I can't fit in the back of a sports car. <laughs> I guess I'm too old for that. Whoa. So our photographers, you know, they always run a car because they have a ton of equipment. Usually end up with an SUV because you know they have to pack it all in there. And sometimes they give us rides if it's possible. So I went out to dinner with them and, and a videographer, and they were going to give me a ride from. They they had gotten in, go past my hotel, and then we were going to go out to Goodyear. And they we saw them waiting for them. Don't know what kind of car they have. And all of a sudden they pull up in like a Dodge charger or challenger or something uh -oh. like this crazy sports car i didn't even think it was them until i looked in the window and saw john Kuntz's smiling face <laughs> looking out at me and it was two-door i had to like squeeze into the back and when we got to the barbecue place and in, in goodyear i could not get out i was oh. stuck i pushed the seat forward and everything and i could not squeeze out of there so wow and if you can't get out of there who can Seriously. get out of there? So Dan's a runner <laughs> right. and not a large, large man. That is so. true. And I could not get out of, of the back. It took a lot longer than it than it should have. So you went eight and then tried to get back into the car. Is that well, yeah. And I didn't have a... Well, no, I actually rode back with the uh, the videographer who Got was staying it. in You're Phoenix like, where I was staying. And he had a tree. He had a big truck. So perfect. that was, that like, was no with problem. I didn't have to squeeze into the back of the sports nice car. Nice car, but... but. Yeah, John... John Koontz and Josh Gunter driving up in a sports car was not what I expected to see 
uh, when they gave me a ride from the airport to uh, to Goodyear. Well, I know how you feel because my husband has a midlife crisis sports <laughs> car that nobody Classic. in the family can stand. It's a two-door car, okay? We have a family of five. Yeah. And we have three children. Now, they're not <laughs> children anymore, really. They're all in college. But still, there are times when we have to get in that darn little car, yep. and nobody can get in or out of that back seat. <laughs> and it drives us all crazy. We're like, okay, Bill, it was fun while it lasted, yeah. but now let's get a real car. Yeah, yeah, I think it was more a height issue for me, and I'm only like 5'10". So I'm, <laughs> about, I'm, like, I'm about as average sized as, as I could possibly be, and it was not... A great experience. Sounds like I we are you. we are out on sports cars here on Orange Round Talk. <laughs> I podcast. also had to dig through the trunk to find John's computer because he forgot he had to do something. <laughs> so I had to Man. pull the seat down and dig through the trunk and try and find his computer for him. It's awesome. On Friday, I'll be spending my life on this beat seeing Star Wars: The Rise of Skywalker. Uh, you know, we get, we get some time off here and there, mm-hmm. right? So you yep. know, I try to run down to the movie theater when I can. Just careful uh, what T-shirt you wear. <laughs> you go to a movie on a Friday night. <laughs> I'm not seeing Mr. Rogers, so it should be all right. But yeah, so uh, I'll be seeing Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker on Friday. Um, look, it's Star Wars. Whether you're a fan of it or not, it kind of takes over the holiday season when they have a movie like this. Come out. I'm excited to see that first Star Wars movie I saw was uh, in like 2000, I believe. It was the, the Phantom Menace, that first one that dropped. I was in first grader then i just remember being all excited <laughs> to go to my local theater and go see that uh and now we're looking at 19 20 years later this saga ending so it's, it's just a, it's a fun fun interesting time uh when, when i mentioned star wars you guys have any fond memories or anything that, that comes to mind with the, with the saga coming out coming to an end well i'm not like a star wars junkie i saw the i don't know if i'm allowed to call them the first three but you know the what is it four through six yeah um yeah. you know the original, the original one yeah the original trilogy uh, I liked those. I only saw one of the prequels. I think it was Phantom Menace, actually. Yep, there you uh, go. That was the only one that I... The one with Jar Jar. Yeah, uh, I saw favorite. that one. And then I've seen the first of the new ones. I have not seen the second one Force yet. Force Awakens. Uh, yeah. Look at that. So I've seen the first of the new ones. And I also liked the one... Uh, I forget what it was called. The one that was happened between like Rogue before one. the free yeah Rogue One go. see I didn't even need to describe it that well I got you Dan and don't you, you were all about it I liked that one so I'm I'm a little behind on on the newer ones but you know I I like Star Wars so my family whenever we can we go on Christmas night so awesome we might go on Christmas night to see Star Wars this year again but my little Star Wars story and you guys are gonna, are gonna laugh at me about this and the listeners are not <laughs> going to see this or even believe this in any way shape or form but when the first and I'm dating myself here but whatever um, <laughs> when the first when the first Star Wars original came out with Carrie Fisher I was a Princess Leia look-alike and everywhere I went <laughs> People said that to me. It's remarkable. And again, you won't see it now. Yeah. Uh, but maybe I can find a, a picture or something I'll bring in for, for you guys. But it was uncanny. I mean, everywhere I went, yeah. everyone thought that I looked like the Carrie Fisher Princess Leia. Yeah. I never, I should have dressed up, you know, for her sure. as Halloween for that, but I never did that. Too late now. I don't look like her really anymore. <laughs> well, but- what's remarkable about that is, 
I'm, I'm assuming in back then things just had such longer shelf lives and the, these yeah. movies didn't come out as quickly as they do. Right. Now. I think these three stars movies have come out in the past like four years. Yeah. You know, it was, I think there was like a five year gap just between the first and second Star Wars. So yeah, uh, you must have rode that that look alike for a I while. Did. I don't yes. blame you. Yes, I did. I definitely did. But I have I have a lot of look alikes. As we go along, I'll tell you some of the other ones. Some of them are really bad. There you go. Yeah. That's you keep a list. We'll keep a Seriously. list. Seriously, that's off off season life on the beach <laughs> stuff right there. All right, you guys, that's life on the beach. Just us trying to peel back the curtain and share with you guys uh, things that happen around covering this this team of the Cleveland Browns and everything that we endure along the way. Uh, real quickly before we get out of here, uh, what's cooking? We have coming up a couple good insider stuff for you. Um, I'll have a preview on the Ravens' tight ends, specifically Mark Andrews and Hayden Hurst. Uh, the Browns will be seeing a lot of those too uh, in the run game, in the pass game, play action, stuff like that. So, We'll do a quick preview of that. And before we get out of here, I just want to uh, quickly get a, a prediction. Don't need to score anything, but um, my gut tells me you guys are seeing the Ravens winning this one. Am I correct? Yeah, it's really hard for me. It's You know, look, division games in the NFL, it's a little cliche. They can be a little funny. It's going to be the second time the Browns have seen the Ravens. You know, some of these guys have played against Lamar Jackson a, a number of times. It's just hard for me to see the Browns staying within two scores of this team. I, I think that's the closest it, it would be is maybe a two score game. And, you know, I hope it doesn't get real ugly at first energy stadium. I hope there's not a ton of booing and, and whatever, but we've been through these late December games before. I, I think this game has the potential to just be a really bad finish for this team. Yeah. I mean, when you look at what Joe Mixon did, when you look at what the Cardinals did to them from a run game standpoint, this just doesn't seem to be a good matchup anymore. It's so hard to believe that they beat them 40 to 25 in the first meeting. I don't see that happening again for a number of reasons. The Browns defense has gotten worse since then. The Ravens have gotten better since then. And uh, I'm feeling a Ravens victory. Yep. I'll just say ditto. I agree. (laughs) Ditto. All right, y'all. That's all we got for you this week. As always, don't forget to sign up for Football Insider by clicking the blue banner at the top of cleveland.com slash browns. For myself, Dan Lobby, and Mary Kay Cabot, this is Ellis Williams signing off. Take care, y'all.